Every time. Every time. Vasectomy party! Uh, every single time. Uh, no man knoweth the day or the hour. Sometimes I just gotta get on here. Regardless of the time of day. Alright, looks like we're good. My microphone working, everybody? I sound good? Turn that mic up. Oh, it is balmy indeed. It is a, the air is thick. The air is juicy. We just got finished with that uh, tropical storm remnant. So I will probably be sweating during the course of this video. I hope it's not too traumatic for people because I know I do a lot of it. Uh, today, I wanted to talk sort of about a big picture thing. Not, I'm not really trying to derive any practical uh, advice from it, I guess. I'm not trying to, like, turn it into an uh, action item. I'm just trying to, like, talk through something. Just as, like, a general theory for exactly why the fuck the left whatever you want to call that in America, is so uh, fucked on all sides. And I think it boils down to faith. Not religious faith, necessarily, although that's part of it in a, in a, in a different way, but the sense that no one has faith in the project. And I don't think that's anyone's fault. I want to make that clear. Everything I'm going to say goes for everyone I can think of, including myself. So I'm not pointing any fingers at anyone. I'm trying to just, for myself, and hopefully for anybody listening who wants to tell me what they think, uh, their response, this is my thought about it. Uh, is that because of the collapse of the institutional left, which is what we're living in. Like, I would say that technically we don't have a left in this country because we do not have the structure of one. And without the structure of something, in a political sense, you don't really have it. Opinions, takes, even organizations, as long as they're not coordinating, and as long as uh, people are operating without any sort of, as I've talked about, disciplinary or coordinating mechanism in their lives to direct their energies, uh, there is no real structure. And that's a legacy of 40 years of intentional neoliberal politics and, and uh, the spectacleization and the, the, the atomization. We've talked about all this. Like, why it's happened is not a question, or why, or, or a mystery. The reality is, is that because there's no structure, everyone now who is a moment where it was living in through a moment of unprecedented, I would say, crisis in America in terms of its long-term viability as a fucking project and the individual viability of any one person who isn't already wealthy to even survive. I mean, my God, literally now they're talking about sending everybody back to school in September to just give everybody fucking more disease as the numbers keep going up, as we're probably going to be talking about half a million dead by the end of the year. And the reality of that being absolutely in the same moment and in the same reality as a world where there's no left and where the attempt to build one out of the Bernie Sanders campaign failed completely, uh, it's a horrifying thing. And I think the way that it shapes the discourse, because that's all anyone really talks about when they talk about the left, is people talking because there's nothing else to really do other than protest, which people have been doing, but which, as time has gone on, the protests have grown more, less confrontational, and they've gotten off the front pages. 
Uh, I saw a, a tweet by someone who said, none of these protests are getting attention now because they're not violent anymore. There's not, a, 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 uh, there's not escalation. There's not rioting. Uh, and, that's, and that's why now it's being, why, why, the, why the protests are now kind of being processed and ignored. Uh, and they blame that on people uh, taking seriously liberal admonitions against violent rioting as, as counterproductive. And I could see why people would think that, because we're online all the time. But I think a more, more compelling materialist explanation is that the cops kicked everyone's fucking ass. The cops kicked the shit out of everybody, started throwing people in jail, people started getting run over at protests, and I think a lot of people, as, the, as passions cooled a little bit, as they do over time, you know, fucking second law of thermodynamics, and, it's, and as that initial rush of, like, from being out of, cooped up in the houses to out into the street petered out, it was not met with a corresponding rise in organizational capacity that could allow a continued escalation with, of conflict with the state to be sustained. Like, there's no way to keep fighting the state meet, uh, productively. All you're going to do is end up getting beat up and go to jail for no reason. I mean, other than to express your personal horror at the situation, but you can, you, you're doing it without any hope that it's going to build, that it's going to develop it's going to mean anything and people want their sacrifice to mean something and who wouldn't everyone does and without that possibility of sacrifice meaning something fewer people are willing to risk are willing to sacrifice and that's totally understandable and reasonable that's the way that's that's what else are they supposed to do and that that tide pulling back is because of the lack of organizational capacity. Um, so that's like the actual material reason that people don't have faith in the project. Because their efforts cannot be put to use. But what that means, the reality of that, the reality of that general sense of hopelessness, even among people who are suffering wildly and are wildly radicalized, is that when we try to do politics in a mindset of hopelessness, not a conscious mindset, mind you, I think a, a deeper awareness of futility. Uh, it means that we instinctively filter politics not through the lens of effectiveness of action, but through personal pleasure. Uh, because there is a like the, the fundamental leftist uh, project of recognizing the common good the idea that we all share an interest in replacing capitalism with a system that is not exploitative that common interest is abstract Whereas our specific concrete desires are real to us. They're realer anyway. We feel them more. They're there every moment. We don't have to conjure them. They're there. Uh, and so if we're committed to politics, committed to being political, but we've kind of already ruled out uh, efficacy as the main thing to be focused on, we are going to then go to personal pleasure as the thing to focus on. And once again, that's not unpredictable or something you can really blame people for. What else are they supposed to do? Because effective political action, one, no one really knows what it is, and two, whatever it is, it's probably going to be, in some respect, boring or uh, tedious or hard. And why would you want to do something that is tedious or difficult if it's not going to accomplish anything? On the other hand, you could approach politics libidinally as a, as a zone of, uh, of personal identity formation, as a way to gain social prestige, uh, and as a way to satisfy your emotional 
rage. I mean, so much, so many people are so fucking pissed and have every right to be, and who privilege their ability to express that anger on someone, somewhere. And I think that's a lot of the cancel culture desire. It's like, don't take away my ability to yell at famous people who are fucking assholes because I'm mad at them and why shouldn't I be? And th there's no response to that because, yeah, of course. They suck, and, and your life sucks, and their life is great, and they're whining about getting canceled. Of course you want to yell at them. Now, the thing is, though, that's not going to accomplish anything. And as I've said, like, the one-two justification for cancel culture is, one, um, you know, it's people, it's response, it's people getting, uh, it's, it's, it's speech having uh, consequences, but also no one ever gets canceled. Well, that means there are no consequences, and that means it's just for personal satisfaction of the person doing the, doing the owning. And that's what the whole, the whole box, the, the, whole, the, the, the Skinner box of, of internet politics is just a libidinal sink. It's, it's, it's politics is personal pleasure. And I think that that is not the fault of the PMC or uh, woke capital or anything. It is the inevitable result of living in a world without hope. You can recognize the horror of the world around you and recognize the bad guys, but if you don't really think that there's anything that you can do to have any hope of changing it, then you're going to look for other things to make your life more bearable because it's getting more unbearable every day. And it's that lack of... It's that lack of... Uh, any real belief in, in progress, I think, that's at the root of every dysfunction that gets teased out on every level. I mean, there are people, my God, who have decided that they're going to create some sort of post-Marxist theory that, re that redefines class and says class is not about a relationship to a means of production. It's about, I, I guess, a cultural affect or having gone to college. That's what real class is now because those... Those people are the ones who direct the culture, the discourse. And you've got people willing to just throw a key Marxist concept out of the window uh, so that they can stay online, so that because they can fight the PMC online. They can joust with the PMC online. They can drag them. And so they've decided that actually these are the real rulers of the world. This is the real ruling class. Because they're the ones who I can actually yell at. They're the ones that I can have an effect on. Or even in my mind imagine so. And that's because there is no effective action that anyone feels like they can take. So they're going to take the action that is most satisfying. Most personally satisfying. So on one level of the lack of faith is just the fact that nobody has any real investment in a project that they think is going to make anything better. But there's a deeper problem, too. And this one is, is uh, I think, another one that's endemic to postmodern capitalist culture writ large, nothing having to do with politics or, uh, or anything. It's that uh, it's that we in the West, I would say broadly, and more and more over the world as capitalism conquers, as capitalism becomes the only language of, of meaning, uh, have been conditioned to, in the absence of God, because God is dead, Nietzsche is right about that, 19th century, boom, blown away, done for. Like, obviously people still believe in God, but there's doubt now that didn't used to be there, at least more of it. And it leaves, it, 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 it's essentially we killed God, but we left the devil. Because now it's hard for anyone, it's a struggle for anyone, to invest supernatural, uh, to invest real belief in a supernatural future. If they have gone to, if they have a, a basic understanding of science, you know, uh, it's harder and harder. You can do it, but it's harder. It's a struggle. It's, it's more of a struggle than it used to be. Uh, and like that was inevitable, you know, like we built these gods in ignorance, and now we're less ignorant, and they don't make sense anymore. Like that's supposed to happen. But the problem is, is that when you abolish the infinite, as, as if you abolish like a realm of infinite, where, a spiritual realm where you can imagine yourself, 
then you have two choices. You can either realize that the self is actually not any different than anything else in the universe, and that it's essentially an illusion, and that it can be overcome, or you worship the self as God. You redefine God as your own uh, sense perception, identity, and desires. And wouldn't you know it, that is actually what we ended up building out of the rubble of the old religious traditions. Because what other uh, engine does capitalism have other than personal, the satisfaction of personal desires? And so now we have a genuine conflict within every person, in America at least, who is trying to uh, build a left political praxis in that their commitment to a general well-being is in direct conflict with their individual desires. And of course they're gonna privilege their individual desires. The only thing, there's only two things that can make that equation flip. One is if you do like annihilate your ego, which is very difficult. I haven't done it, that's for fucking sure. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a process uh, and, and a lot of people, most people are never even going to come to the point of realizing that that should even be a goal of their lives. Uh, and the other is finding something to believe in as a project, as in believe in its efficacy and effectiveness, or at the very least, to believe in your individual, uh, that you are individually playing a role in it moving forward. And I think those things are intertwined. And I think that the moment is demanding a new left organization, a new left structures, and also, honestly, a new spiritual understanding. Like the, the, like the, the personal ego uh, satisfaction that is, built, that is encoded in the DNA of, uh, of our social order, Stripped of everything, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, all those things are defined by personal ego satisfaction through the market. That that has to be, that's, 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 I mean, we're seeing it exhausted in front of us. I mean, what, what are all those videos of people freaking out and melting down about having to wear a mask? What was all the people wait, uh, protesting about not being able to go to Chili's? It's... Our, our bound, the bounds of our lives have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. Our, our zone of actual autonomy is getting smaller and smaller. All we have are our desires, which are mediated and which are essentially handed to us by a culture. And if we can't satisfy those desires, then we don't have freedom. We don't have individuality. We aren't the beings that we thought we were. And being able to be that has become harder and harder to do. And trying to do it is turning into fucking suicide. It is now literally suicidal to try to assert yourself in the marketplace the way that we've been taught is the sum total of human fulfillment. So we've reached a point where this, these things are no longer tenable at any level. Like the economy is obviously basically uh, uh, exsanguinated. And, the, and there's a virus that is physically preventing people, at least some people, people who are not deluded enough to just ignore the reality from engaging in those self-building activities of satisfaction. And in the left, we have seen, among leftists, I guess I should say, since I don't think the left is real, we have seen a this, this uh, libidinal indulgence replacing uh, any kind of group project. Everyone is in it to satisfy their pleasure. And, they could, and a lot of people will say, no, I want everything to be better. I want, I want things to be better. What are you talking about pleasure? But one of those things that creates pleasure is being seen as good by others. Imagining oneself to be good, better than the system that they're in. Imagining oneself not to be an exploiter. And most importantly, imagining oneself to be being seen by others as good. And so that structures the discourse too. It becomes, like I've talked about, it becomes an entrepreneurial war of all against all to be the best person. 
because that's all we can seek. But I think because we're at a moment of crisis and because the conditions are changing every second, I really think that both those problems are going to uh, be addressed, not by me, not by any project that's currently existing, certainly not by anybody posting online about it. Uh, I think that, that the, the insufficiency of the current models will essentially require, in a Darwinian sense, uh, a change in approach, both spiritually and personally uh, and, and organizationally. What that's going to look like, I don't know. And the real question, whether it's too late uh, to be effective. And those are two questions, the answer to which I don't know. But, like I said, this is not prescriptive. This is just me trying to talk through like what it seems to me to be the root of a lot of the, the, um, the uh, pathologies uh, that seem to be metastasizing. And all I could do is just hope, like we all have to do, that, that the un in untenability of the moment will push us towards building some new moral system where, where, where that ego gratification is, uh, is subsumed uh, into an understanding that the real that there is real meaning in struggle, real meaning in suffering for a cause. And most importantly, that you get enough people who think that way, all of a sudden you've got an organization that can affect change. Now, I'm not saying it's gonna happen magically and it's not gonna happen spiritually. It's going to be a response to eruptions in the material conditions. Uh, but I do think that it's inevitable. Like I said, the thing I don't know is whether it's going to be enough or in enough time. I gotta say, the, the people who want to like redefine class to be not about material conditions in relationship to means of production, that is honestly, it's tragic because you can see where it comes from. It, it, it comes from being terminally frustrated with the awful, bad faith maelstrom of, of discourse and of the, the, there is sort of a reifying and, um, and disciplining function within, you know, from the media to, to like a generalized population of mostly college educated people online uh, that, that establishes like a standard of behavior and a, or more importantly, a standard of uh, outlook and a standard of uh, <clears throat> opinions uh, and then to punishes people who, dis who disagree with them. And a lot of those opinions end up insisting upon the primacy of focusing on non-material conditions on saying no we can't do any socialism until we fight racism as though those are inextricable as though as though there's a way to fight racism that does not uh as those are ways to fight racism alone that will not leave the structures that recreate racial uh, racial disparities that's just going to recreate itself uh, and that's very frustrating to see and i get why people get mad at it but not only by doing that, not only are you, of course, committing heresy against Marx, but like, I mean, who cares at the end of the day? You know, conditions change. He died a long time ago. We have to acknowledge things are different. And I think that there is some sort, there is some um, insight in pointing out that, that there is essentially at this point a massive divide broadly between Hmong white people, college-educated ones, and non-college-educated ones on questions of culture. And... Both sides suffer, are suffering from economic precarity. Like, they're, like the argument that the PMC or whatever is downwardly mobile is true. But that because of the difference in their conditioning, the response to precarity is different. The response to college-educated whites is to cling harder to wokeness as a way to fill that 
sense of anxiety with the, the at least the satisfaction of being being good, uh, and then there's a, 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 there can be an opposite response in non-college -educa educated ways as conditions get worse to cling on to cultural explanations the other way, cultural demonization the other way, and that that is like a mutual reinforcing process, and that's bad. It's very bad, and it needs to be overcome. Uh, but it cannot be overcome online because uh, it's not true to say the internet isn't real life because obviously people learn how to behave from watching other people online and then they take it offline and then that impacts the way that they relate to people in the real world or impacts what activism they do it impacts the way that they approach their lives it's real but it is an after effect it is epiphenomenon it is it is um epiphenomenal it is superstructure and what that means more than anything is that you can't change it there. You can't change it at the level of discourse. There's no amount of posting, zero amount of posting that can change anything because while it reinforces existing structures, it is not generative. The structures are generative. And so by redefining class to be about whether or not you went to college, uh, and determining that that means that, oh, good, I get to stay online all day to argue with these people. Well, you've seeded the field. And like I said, I understand why, because there's no other alternative. And that feels good. Even if it feels bad, it feels good, you know? Like, everybody gets mad. Getting mad, that's the flip side of being happy. Uh, there's a book about college football rivalries, and I think it's called To Hate Like This Is To Be Happy Forever, I think is the name of it. And I can't think of a better name for a book about the Internet. And the other thing, the other problem with that, I mean, for one thing, you're doomed. You've, you've neutered yourself. You've decided I'm going to stay staring at the wall with the flickering flames in the cave because it's, it's more recognizable to me. It's not scary. Uh, and it has a reward system in place that I know how to gain. Um, the other problem is if you dismiss uh, the means of production as the an orientation towards the means of production as as the thing that uh, that determines class well that means that cultural concepts like nation and race and ethnicity and religion these things that are understood properly as generated by capitalism become independent and become real and i don't see any way that there is a unified working class movement that operates under those assumptions, that those things are real. That those things are more real anyway than, than relationship to the means of production. Whew. Not did, I'm not sweating. I'm sweating a little bit, but not too bad. Uh, how are you guys doing? Uh, oh, that reminds me. The, so, like I said, I don't know what the future is going to hold. I, I, I do think that there is, I mean, inevitably going to be some formation that arises to, to resist what's happening just because, you know, people, people get fed up. There's no guarantee it's going to be effective, like I said. And there's no guarantee that the, uh, the most hopeful combination of that is going to be the most dominant because there's plenty of reaction and there's plenty of um, sort of useless public uh, uh, ego-driven displays to be done. That, and those are still going to happen. You know, uh, It's a question of getting it to a critical mass. Uh, but I think that 
I mean, to sound boring about it, it's going to be at the workplace. It's, it's going to be at the level of the workplace. And um, specifically, I think you've got a real possibility here in this coming school year with the police, with, with, uh, with the uh, Trump administration insisting to reopen schools because you cannot reopen the economy and have people not have childcare. Uh, so, but you have these, the significant pushback from teachers and, uh, you know, we've seen teacher militancy is, is relatively high compared to other sectors of the economy. So that could be something. Another thing I think could be very, is very potentially, um, fruitful is, uh, the big box retail economy specific because one, uh, that's the closest thing in our service-driven economy to a shop floor anymore, right? Like, obviously, there's still manufacturing done in this country, but it is largely a service economy. And retail big boxes are the closest thing to, to a shop floor in the sense that you've got a, a huge number of people who work near one another, uh, which is very much not the case in most other service industry uh, environments. And also, they're a crucial nodes in the distribution network big they're 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 critical to our just-in-time delivery process so they fit a lot of the potential um um oh and i would add to that uh, obviously obviously amazon fulfillment centers i mean they're not technically retail but they are part of the service industry and they also have that factory element that shop floor element uh and you're seeing militancy at all those places and if there is any kind of coordination at that level, then I think you might have the seeds for something that could become uh, a genuine point of uh, escalating conflict with the existing order. Uh, and that's why I think if you work at a big box store, you should obviously not get fired to t by, for talking about unions, but you should be aware, you should keep your head up, you should have your antenna pinged about the possibilities for labor organizing there. Uh, if you don't have a job and you need one and they're hiring, I mean, that's a place where you could actually work. I mean, obviously work sucks and nobody wants to do it, but if you need to do it, uh, you could do it in a place where politics could also be part of your daily life in your, in your, in your uh, employment which most people don't have. And those are the kind of things that clarify the stakes, that raise awareness of the possibility of effective action, and most importantly, could decenter the ego. So there are, there are existing nodes of potential resistance, uh, but they're not where we think they are. They're sure as shit not having anything to do with cancel culture. Uh, and until the, uh, I mean, until the police reform or abolition movement has a organizational backbone to it, it's not going to be there either. Uh, I've seen a lot of people insist that, uh, that the protests have been effective because public opinion is changing. But what good, what use is public opinion if nobody has anything to do with their views? Like, especially, I mean, for one thing, when you say, uh, you know, X number of people are now in favor of, what, police abolition or whatever you want to call it, I doubt that you could get those people in a room and have them agree upon what they mean by those terms, for one thing. And secondly, even if they did, uh, they wouldn't have anything to do. What, vote for Democrats? Is that, is that the hope? They're going to vote for Joe Biden? I mean, I'm not saying that, those, that the movement should stop or anything, or that people should, if there's, if there's a protest, not go to one. I mean, I'm still going. But there has to be an awareness that organizational capacity has to be the the priority because absent that it all just it's just a cup of water getting poured out onto a uh, fucking concrete it's just it's energy wasted and 
if you're seeing like uh, there there are concessions being made, you know, by, by different municipal police departments, and that's good, but it's also a moment to stop and think, well, who's still in charge? You know, and who's and if 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 the people in charge are mollifying you, if the people in charge feel like they have diffused the tension with, with their uh, reforms, then they're just going to end up uh, being recaptured by the systems of, of coercion. And the thing is, like, some cities are doing stuff like Seattle apparently is saying they're going to cut a bunch of their cops. But, I mean, you have to... It's weird how people simultaneously will, you know, be, be say, we're, we're demanding radical action, we're, we're, we're insisting on abolition, not reform, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and because we understand we're dealing with, you know, a capital exploitation system that needs to be overthrown. But it's still the same... It's still the same politicians in charge who are doing this. They haven't changed. They're, uh, they're responding to pressure now, but the nature of pressure is that unless it's organized to be systemic, it goes away. Momentum dissipates. It's like I've, Amazon saying we're not going to sell uh, facial recognition software to the cops for one year. I mean, you could t- say the same thing about a lot of these uh, budget cuts and reforms. Unless, unless the actual structure of incentives for the political order changes, or the actual political order itself is overthrown, the, these, the, all these reforms will then be, will have their holes filled with, uh, with more coercion and more exploitation, because that's all the system is. I love to fill my reform holes. It's great. All reform holes filled. The Wayfair thing uh, is very funny because it just shows, in my opinion, just the, 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 the destabilizing nature of online. I mean, this thing started on TikTok, right, with teenagers. And they saw, some kids saw, like, look, these are really expensive. And, and look, they have the names of this. And they just went, oh, they're shipping them in these containers. Now, that's insane. That's an insane thing to even think for a second. I mean, it could happen, but there are so many levels of analysis you would have to do to make that the most likely outcome like you know so many different uh you'd have to use occam's rate you'd have to use fucking use occam's razor until it was a fucking nub to get to yeah no they're shipping people in uh very expensive cupboards named after the people the kids who are in them but the instantaneity, the instantaneousness of Twitter means that, that, that those, are, or the internet in general makes, means that those questions are never asked. There is just a thing that's happening now. And then you respond to the thing that's happening. You don't have time to think about it. And more importantly, you have no way to investigate it. Because how are you supposed to trust anything? How are you supposed to trust what anyone is saying about anything? Uh, and so it, it, it basically comes down to are you psychically in a position to absorb the thing in front of you are you positioned culturally to when a a conspiracy is presented to you to just say okay that's true and if you are that's the end you're done Uh, i don't know what the deal is with the wayfarer thing i mean maybe it is what they say it is it's just like i said i would need a hell of a lot i need to go through a hell of a lot of theories and disprove those before i got to that one 
And the one I keep seeing is people saying it's just algorithmic, uh, uh, it, it's, it's, it's an algorithmic website. And I think there's something to that. That's, I think that's also part of all those weird, remember those weird uh, uh, videos that were on YouTube for kids of like Peppa Pig getting her teeth pulled out or something? And everyone's freaking out about how it's like some sort of cult programming uh, operation, and maybe part of it is. But a lot of it is, is those things are all made by computers, and most of the views are computers. The, most, the bots are watching videos made by algorithms. And the humans are literally getting squeezed out of the internet, and we're just watching computers interact with each other, watching machine learning take place in front of us. And of course that's terrifying and alienating, uh, and it also leads us to project um, human shapes and structures and narratives to things, like looking at a cloud and seeing a chariot. Because the thing about like because think about all the the things being named after uh, people who'd been abducted. First of all, why would you like, you wouldn't do that? You wouldn't do that. I mean, it's just basic opsec. You wouldn't do that. Secondly, uh, apparently that 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 those names and shit are just because they're scraping the internet for fucking terms to put on things. They're just scraping, and so hey, wait a minute, here's a girl who got abducted and here's a name for, for, for her. That must be mean she's in there. First glance, that makes sense. But it's, it's just as much uh, that process of, of, of putting on a human skin to a essentially random uh, arrangement of, of information uh, that happens all the time. And it's only going to happen more and more and more as we are observing less and less and less actual human content. I do like that apparently one of the Q people actually bought one of the cabinets, which I, I, really, I really can't wait to find out what happens there. I, I hope, I mean, I'm sure they will keep people in, in the loop. What else, why else would you do it if not for posts? But I really want to know what happens. If there's a kid in there, well, I will admit I was wrong. In other, someone says, in other words, we're going to go insane. I mean, going to go, that's actually, you could say that that's uh, optimistic to say we're going to go. Because I think a case could be made that functionally we no longer relate to the real world, uh, which would make us, by some definitions, all of us insane. When you consider the degree to which we, we live in a, an abstracted symbolic order compared to the amount of time we spent wrangling with the real... That you could say, or oh, not the real with a capital R, not the Lacanian real, like material reality, the, the kind that has been the, do, the domain of humans since the beginning of human existence. And now we are living purely or largely at a symbolic abstraction level where we glide between ideas effortlessly and frictionlessly and are never forced to apply the, 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 um, the lathe of like, material reality to them, other people's opinions, uh, just time and space as constraints. They were able to do unconstrained uh, association between symbols and symbolic orders. And we do that more than we do anything else. I mean, maybe that, that's just technologically induced schizophrenia. And that's another thing, honestly, though, I think that's another thing that's pushing us to the point of unsustainability of this. Another thing that's making this continue, this, this, this current uh, order of, of radical ego satisfaction in a fully simulated reality in which material conditions are uh, collapsing in front of us is just not sustainable. And uh, obviously you can say that forever and then die having never seen the moment of friction break happen. And that could happen. This thing could leap on for who knows how long, but it won't leap on forever. And I think the way to go through a day knowing that uh, and not get too depressed and too hopeless is to know that we'll get there eventually at some point. And... If we don't, how are you going to ever know? 
How are any of us ever going to know? None of us are going to see socialism in our lifetimes. So let me, but we still have to live our lives. And that's where destroying that ego part, because I think a lot of the thing that makes people so miserable about politics is that that horror of knowing they're never going to probably ever see anything be better. They're never going to experience things being better. They're never going to actually get to live the life of a post-capitalist uh, subject. And that is a bummer. Uh, but at the same time, it's irrelevant. Because you still hit, you're still here. We're all still here. And we have to live every day. And I think the degree to which we live it for each other and not live it for our personal gratification is the degree that we can handle that. Total ego death. Yeah, we got to do that. We got we to gotta do it. But the thing is, you can't tell people to do it. And that's why, like, all the trad caths and people think we just need to, like, reinforce Christianity as, as, as a hegemonic uh, uh, spirituality or something are absurd. It's, it's, it, it's putting the toothpaste back in the tube. It's going to have to be a new thing. It's going to have to synthesize the concepts of pluralism and science and all, all, of, the, all of the lived realities that permeate our relationships to one another. You cannot, if you, if you turn this into a, some sort of uh, Matthew Walter Catholic theocracy, people are going to be fucking miserable. Even the Catholics. I mean, my God, the Catholics, the countries in Europe, for example, that had the most hegemonic Catholicism, the ones where they didn't have a bunch of immigrants showing up and messing things up, they didn't have, um, they didn't have Hollywood triple parentheses using their cultural Marxism on people, uh, they, none of them believe in God. Ireland... Until like 20 years ago, Ireland was a theocratic plantation. It, it, it was a priest-ruled bog. And now none of those fucking people believe in God. You cannot impose it. It has to rise organically from people coming to an awareness and then seeing that awareness reaffirmed in their relationships to each other. Because the market is, is, the market is, is, its tendrils are everywhere. And it's the thing that guarantees that your, your precious little tradcath concept will be overwhelmed unless you abolish uh, the, the market relationship. And guess what? You cannot do that from a sectarian perspective. Catholic sectarians aren't going to overthrow capitalism. White nationalists aren't going to overthrow capitalism. Because you need the... You need a people. Numbers are the only thing. Capital has everything else. They have our fucking brains in the form of our, our value system. They have the information networks. They have, they have the capital. They have, they have the military. They have the police. All we have are numbers. And any movement that says we're going to get there by radically proscribing through morality or skin color or ethnicity is doomed. Because you will eventually have to make a, make a devil's bargain with capitalism uh, because it cannot be defeated by a sect. I do think they should nationalize passive income. Absolutely. Nation uh, uh, nationalize passive income. And also, uh, this is one thing I agree with Bakunin about, abolish inheritance. And the beauty thing is, is you could actually do like a judo flip on libertarians. Of course, it won't matter because they don't really believe what they say they believe. But if you wanted to just win an argument with a libertarian, you could point out that all of the things they say about, about the market relationship, the equal relationship that exists between an employer and employee, how it's, 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 a, fair, uh, it's a fair negotiation between selling labor power and buying it. All of their perceptions only exist without concentrated wealth and debt more than anything determining the power structure within those negotiations. And the only way to prevent that is to mow the lawn. Every generation, every, every new uh, group of people, you do not get your dad's fucking money or your mom's money. You don't get it. 
No debt and no wealth. Accumulated. You can accumulate, in, I mean, obviously, there's a difference between reform and abolishing capitalism, but uh, if you even wanted to make capitalism even vaguely use, vaguely uh, akin to its um, theoretical function, you would have to abolish those things. And the fact that that's, that's absurd, the fact that those things that would actually make capitalism work are essentially not viable, getting rid of passive income, yeah, that'll work. They're, they're going to stop that. Uh, getting rid of inheritance. The fact that those are non-negotiable means that capitalism has to be overthrown. Someone says, uh, if you're going to be Buddhist, doesn't that mean fuck it? No, it doesn't, because... If you aren't living for yourself, you're living for other people. You're living, you're living, you're living loving kindness for all. And in my mind, anyway, that means creating the conditions for everyone to reach that point. And you cannot, if you are deprived, if you lived a deprived existence, you will probably, it'll be very difficult for you, especially in a Western context, to ever even occur to you to, uh, to abolish the ego or desire because you've never had it fulfilled. And you spend your life seeking and craving and, and striving and being thwarted and then building your personality around your inability to have your desires fulfilled. And then, of course, there are the people, the rich people who get their desires filled. And when they do, that drives, that, they're miserable as well. That drives them to a different sort of misery. It's, it's obviously more bearable, uh, but it is, it's the same spiritual deadness. And the only way that any of that is going to be overcome is if you make so that rich people aren't able to get everything they want and uh, poor people are able to get enough to fucking take a breath. To take a fucking breath and look around. Uh, what books am I reading? I've got, um, I just got an advanced copy of Reaganland, the fourth Rick Perlstein book, which I'm very excited about. I'm 100 pages in. Uh, it's very good. Uh, and it's basically, he's clearly setting up, it's about the, the Carter administration. Uh, and I think that that is, I'm excited because that's such an understudied era, an under-talked about era, I think. Because Carter really was the guy who codified the uh, bipartisan neoliberal consensus before Reagan. Reagan was just the kind of the capstone on it. And one thing I think is really interesting is that Pearlstein talks in the early parts of the book about how, uh, you know, Carter came into office. He won the election closer than people thought it was going to be, but he came in with a with a comfortable supermajority in the House and Senate. Uh, and almost immediately ran into ground because the conservative movement, which a lot of people, a lot of liberals thought was dead after uh, Ford lost uh, and after Reagan was defeated at the convention before that, uh, were, were able to rally resistance to Carter along the axis of social issues, uh, gay, gay, gay marriage or uh, uh, gay rights and, uh, and the ERA and things like that. And what I think is so funny is that you, look, you read that and you, th you, you read these, these guys who use those social discontents to power Reagan into the White House. And none of that stuff has stopped. None of the things that they fought for, none of the social change that they wanted to prevent has stopped. It kept going. Uh, and because Reagan never really gave a shit about it. And none of the, none, none of the actual um, functionaries of government really care about social issues because that's not what their job is. Their job is to maintain capital uh, flows and capital, capitalist control. Uh, 
And more importantly, they don't have power to change that. Those are all cultural responses to change in material conditions. Which is why fixating on culture from either end of it is futile. Because it doesn't reach down. It comes up from. You're pushing against the current. But anyway, I'm looking forward to reading more of it. It's pretty good. It's been a while since I've read any science fiction. I'm thinking of uh, finally reading Gene Wolfe. A lot of people have been recommending Gene Wolfe to me, and I've never read him before. So uh, I might check it out after I finish Nixonland. Or Reaganland, rather. It's also true of Democrats, too. It's true of both parties. They don't really care. I mean, it, Democrats get to get credit or blame for the fact that, that uh, social liberalism keeps uh, accelerating. But it's not because of them. It's not because of the Republicans. Uh, it's, it's because of the social, uh, the social base. It's atomization of the social base. And the thing is that part of that is good because the, 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 the traditionalism of the pre-70s era was too stultifying and it had to be rearranged and it still needs to be rearranged. And that's why I can't accept any notion of traditionalism as some sort of uh, 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 banner because it's, sorry, it's undialectical. Like the, these, the, these, these relationships have changed and we have to deal with the fact that they're different now. Now, that doesn't mean that you... Uh, the, pro the thing is, though, is that that doesn't mean that you create litmus tests and you say, if you're, not, if, you're, if you're not fully on board with the entire gamut of social change as we believe it uh, to mean right at this moment, and by the way, it'll be different in two weeks, and if you aren't up on that difference, then you're fucked then, too. Uh, if it's not this running tally of... Uh, if you haven't, like, passed the gauntlet of wokeness, then you're not in the club. I don't think that that's the answer. And the thing is, I don't think most people care about that that much. The, that, uh, people of good faith, anyway. Uh, I think there, there's a boogeyman built up. Like, how many people are obsessed with, like, keeping Tucker Carlson out of the left? Who the fuck is actually saying he should be in the left? Is there anyone actually talking about that? And more importantly, even if they were, who gives a shit? Because there is no, like, the idea of alliance with, like, the populist right, there is no populist right either. There's just like there's no left. There's no anybody. There's just people. And, and you're talking about leaders, guys who have TV shows or politicians. They don't speak for anyone. They're not connected to any kind of uh, organization that can, that can bring people in. You can only say, maybe the people who they like will like me now. And it's just, it's, it's, it's Coke and Pepsi shit. It's branding. Because there's no structure. Yeah, people don't care about this stuff. It's all hot house fantasy. Because people want to fight, they want to slay demons uh, online. Either, 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 I, uh, either woke, uh, the woke piece, uh, PMC uh, propagandists or the, the, the Strassrites. And, and it's fun doing that. It's libidinally satisfying. But it doesn't do anything because these people don't represent anyone. No one represents anybody but themselves. And that's why I think that whatever's coming is going to have to come with a radical break because of how exhausted and um, uh, stalemated everything is at the rhetorical level. Um, yeah, that's right. Look at me drinking a glass of water with one hand. Spicy, I like spicy mustard. I also like brown mustard on the, on the brat, honestly. The, I like the, the thick grain mustard best of all. 
Stone ground. That's the stuff. Really good for a brat. Rich. Ooh, the American tabloid movie Dreamcasting. That's tough. Somebody said Joe Barenthal could be Pete Bondurant, and I think I could buy that. I don't know. Everyone seems like a pipsqueak now. All actors are like... They're just little... They're little guys. I don't buy any of them as... Any of those dudes. Do I realize that 90% of what I'm saying applies to France? It applies to every Western, every country to some extent because it's all part of the market, but, but more intensely in places where capitalism has been, uh, been hegemonic longer. So us most of all, because we're the, lead, we're the, we're the bleeding edge of it, uh, but also, of course, uh, of course, France. And of course, uh, France more than any, most other people in uh, Europe, because as I have said, France is the, the America of Europe. You know, it's ass, Heinz ketchup? Wow. We got the trolls out in force today. Someone bad-mouthing Heinz ketchup. The ideal condiment. Wow. Sad. Finding out there are people who don't like Heinz ketchup, that's a shocker. But you know what? Taste is subjective. And it doesn't really matter, so everyone can enjoy their inferior ketchups more Heinz for me. Uh, France is like the U.S. and someone asks, is it because they think people love them? Honestly, yeah, that's a big part of it. It's, the thing that I think is American about France is just the, 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 uh, the nauseating self-regard of their culture, which I think, that's why we're not the U.K., even though we're, we're Anglophone, because the British are self-loathing, and we are not. Uh, and the same thing with the French. They love themselves and they love their country and they think that they, they think they invented democracy. We think we did. Uh, both of us think that's like, like, we can look around now and act like that's anything to fucking celebrate. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're nationalist in a very similar way that we are. Even if, of course, ours is much more violent. And but that's, that's the frontier, baby. That's the, that's that free real estate. That's, that's the settler colonial part, which France doesn't have as much of. All right, this is the last thing I'm going to say before I wrap up. Someone's asking about, and this is the, the this is the sad, scary thing, is that somebody asks, do I think that, you know, as things get worse, revolution is going to be inevitable? And I got to say, not at all, because there's, I think, a faith that a lot of people have, and I think that undergirds a lot of assumptions and I, ha I feel this way sometimes too and I kind of catch myself that as things get worse people are going to come to some sort of realization about the system they live under but I don't think there's any reason to assume that that's going to happen absent the social conditions that like the Marxist conception of class consciousness arising is that people compare notes like pe people in a factory or in a working class neighborhood they have a they have a common experience of exploitation that they can discuss. They have a social relationship to one another that leads them to a realization. We all are siloed off in our individual uh, mind units uh, with our personally curated feeds and algorithmically generated content that give us individualized responses to our lives, including its, their conditions and their immiserations. And that leads us to a lot of bad conclusions, like they're shipping children in the mail in giant cabinets. And when things get worse, there's no guarantee that, uh, that we're going to change that heuristic. We're only probably going to double down on it because nothing's intervening with us to make us not think that this is the way things are, that our explanation for reality is not the correct one. That's that social dimension that makes that happen. And that's why I'm saying the hope is in the things like teacher strike or big box retail, I think is a real big one, or uh, Amazon headquarters, because 
to this day, nothing has replaced, and in fact, everything has only displaced and made worse, the, the uh, radicalizing, empowering, positive feedback loop of, of the workplace as a center of, of social uh, conflict and radicalization. And I know that that sucks because people are all working temp jobs where they don't even see a coworker all day, or they're working from home, uh, or they don't have a job at all. And that's a huge, huge percentage of the population. And the question is, well, what about me? Uh, and that's a hard one to answer. The hope is that enough of those people, enough people who don't have a social relationship to labor, uh, that they can see people who do and get the and take the right uh, lessons from that. Take uh, and that's that's where the dice get rolled. That that's where that's where we enter the multiverse and uh, we find out which which timeline we're in. And I don't know. I don't know. Got the sh got the shrug going. But all we can do in the meantime is keep our powder dry. So pow dry up your powder, everybody. Dry up your fucking powder. Bye-bye.